Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. Time now for the DenverSports.com front page. Stop what you're doing and listen. Taking a look at the top stories in Denver sports taken from your online home for the best opinions and information on the Broncos, Nuggets, Avalanche, Rockies, and more. What in the name of Dan Issel? With today's DenverSports.com front page, here's Schlereth and Evans. Some of the uh, stuff standing out at uh, DenverSports.com. We got Andrew Mason uh, writing about whether or not the Broncos draft class of 2023 was really that bad. An ESPN poll or ranking of the uh, 32 draft class had the Broncos dead last as they only had uh, five picks in the entire draft. Uh, we know that Marvin Mims was their best pick, but. He, he shined as a special teams performer, was, uh, you know, just kind of eh, meh, as a, as a receiver. So do you look at that class as being a bust of a class, a, a failed class? Yeah, and if well, so, why? Yeah, well, I, I, I would look at it because when you're drafting and you've given away all the draft capital you've given away, your third rounders, your fourth rounders, those guys have to... Those guys have to play a prominent role. Those guys have got to come in and play for you and play. I'm not saying they have to start every game, but they have to have they have to fill prominent roles, not 22 tackles, not four tackles. And I understand you had one guy that had the hernia surgery, but the bottom line to me, those guys have to fill major roles, not only playing on defense, but playing special teams. Not only, I mean, playing in the offensive scheme of things. And so... Yeah, I would I would look at that right now. Is I don't want to call it the draft class a bust because year one is hard, but I'm gonna say you're on like you're on notice for being a bust. Those guys have to perform. To me, the the two the, the picks that jump out are the two third rounders. You should, if you are smart, if you are good, you should have third round picks for a team like the Broncos. Should be, if not starters, they should be key rotational guys. And I look at Drew Sanders at linebacker. He went 67th overall, just four picks after um, Marvin Mims. And and Sanders just made minimum, minimum uh, impact. And then Riley Moss played in 14 games. At, at, for a season in which the Broncos were constantly looking for another corner opposite Patrick Sertan, I mean, poor Fabian Moreau was out there at the end getting torched by Aiden O'Connell against the Raiders. And Riley Moss can't beat out that guy? Right. So, yeah. Now, you're right. You don't completely bury these guys. I, I think it's unfair to to bury a rookie until he's had a chance to come back. All right, I got a year of NFL football under my belt. Now I go into the offseason. I prepare differently, knowing what the NFL is all about. Now show me what you got your second year. So I'm not ready to bury these guys yet. But, um, man, they, they have to make a giant leap. Um, and, and also Marvin Mims, because at, at this point, you moved up to take Marvin Mims. And so... I, you've got Tim Patrick coming back. You got Cortland Sutton. You got Jerry Judy. You don't draft. You don't move up to take a Marvin Mims if you plan on having. Never mind all three. If you plan on having two of those three guys back next year, am I wrong? No, no. I listen, man. I keep going through some of these other teams, and I'll use the Rams because the Rams 
have mortgaged the future, right? They went out and got themselves a quarterback. They mortgaged the future. Second round, Steve Avila, 17-game starter, was great at the left guard position. Third round, Byron Young, 17 games, 16 starts, was outstanding as an edge player. Kobe Turner, a rotational guy, 17 games, four starts, rotational guy on the inside. That's third rounders. Um, you went out Pukunakua in the fifth round. Now, they had a ton of picks, ton of late picks, but like that's what you have to do. That's where I would that's where I would go back and say, hey man, we need to trade out of 12. We need to go get ourselves some real live football players down toward the bottom of the first round, maybe the second round. You know, see if we can, if we lose free agents, see if we can't get compensatory third rounders in there. And we need to start stockpiling some of these things. And we have to hit on all those. Those guys have to be, those guys have to be hit on. And I think that's, you know, the, what I look at when I'm looking at the draft is how many of those guys in the second, third, and fourth round do you hit on that become prominent players, rotational players, and starters for you? Because that's really what this draft is. That's what the draft has become. Jay's Merrillat writing at denversports.com that Greg Penner has to answer one question. Who's the boss? And James is saying that Greg Penner, who made a huge investment in Russell Wilson, made an equally huge investment in Sean Payton, uh, suggests, he writes, the Broncos owner needs to sit Payton and Russell down in a room and give them a simple message. Figure it out. And he shouldn't let his head coach and quarterback leave until they've ironed out their differences. He's already done that. That's already happened. What? When? When? When Sean decided he didn't want Russell anymore. Send him a room and, and figure it out. Yeah, I figured it out. That guy can't play for me. All right, we're moving on. You got your wish, James. Look at James. Like you see, you know what? We've found common ground, James and I. I totally agree with you, James. And they already did it. James writes the most likely route to reaching these goals is for the duo to work together. Finding a way for both to find success in Denver is the path of least resistance. James continues to miss this point. <clears throat> And, I, and I, I, I rolled my eyes and I laughed when Sean Payton was hired. And the 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 rhetoric was, well, Sean Payton was hired to fix Russell Wilson. No, he wasn't. No, he wasn't. He was hired to fix the Broncos. Now, job one on his to-do list was to figure out if he could win with Russell Wilson. That's what the first year was about. Can I win with, 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 with Russell Wilson? He decided he could not. So the moment... That this notion that Greg Penner hired Sean Payton with the idea of making it work with Russell Wilson, that that, that that's so wrong. That that's the, the the farthest from the truth. Here's the beauty of Greg Penner. Okay, you you ready for this? The beauty of Greg Penner is he knows what he doesn't know. Which is an incredibly valuable asset to have. He understands that he does not understand football at the capacity to make a decision like, hey, guys, just figure it out. He has hired a competent coach who has won a Super Bowl, who averaged 11-plus games a year winning in a 15-year career in New Orleans. 
He's not coming out and saying, you know what, Sean, with all due respect, you really don't understand football. So I'm going to go ahead and step in here. No, he's saying, hey, man, I hired you to make a decision. I hired you based on your expertise. And if you tell me that you can't win with Russell Wilson, if you tell me that going forward, it just sets us back another couple of years, we will move on. We are not cash strapped. We can handle it. Yeah, is it going to be painful? Sure. Do you think in the process of Greg Penner and Sean Payton talking before Sean was uh, offered and and took the job, do you think they had a conversation that went something like this? Sean, uh, Greg, there's a very good chance I'm going to decide that I can't win with Russell Wilson and you got to be ready to eat uh, the the, the money on his contract. Mm -hmm. Are you prepared to do that? Because that's likely the decision I could arrive at, and you have to be comfortable with that. And Greg Penner said, okay. Yeah. Do you think they had that conversation? Absolutely. Do you think that's how the conversation went? Absolutely. Absolutely. Do you think think Sean Payton rolled into this? Now, he had coached him in a Pro Bowl. Do you think he rolled into this relationship without consulting with Pete Carroll, John Schneider, the folks in Seattle, do you think coaches talk to one another? I mean, he went in with eyes wide open. He knew what he was getting, and he did his damnedest to try to win with what he had. And guess what? He decided that that's not going long term. Could could you piecemeal an offense together and, you know, lean heavily on your defense and your special teams and, you know, and running the ball and getting better at all those things. And could you piecemeal that together and eventually win enough to maybe slide into the playoffs? Probably. But two years from now, when you've, you know, flirted with it, but you can't get over the top, you know what you're doing? Essentially starting over again. I, I would ask James to, I guess, look at this, go at this from a different angle and and ask yourself, do you believe that Sean Payton was hired with the mandate to make it work with Russ? Because, hey, we're paying Russ all this money. We gave up what we gave up for him in the trade. Sean, we're hiring you with the understanding that you're going to make it work with Russ. Mm-hmm. I, who believes that? Does James believe that? Does does anybody really believe that that was the, um, those were the guidelines? Those were the, the the restrictions that were placed on Sean Payton. Yeah, you will, you'll get the job. You'll become one of the highest paid coaches in the NFL. But you will you will take this job with the understanding you will make it work with Russ. Come on, no, nobody nobody believes right. that. So if that's the case, then why all of a sudden does Greg Penner need to sit? John Payton and, and and Russell Wilson in a room together like their children say, you don't come out, you don't get dinner until you guys figure this out. I mean, it's, that's, that's fantasy. That's fantasy. Uh, a couple other quick uh, Bronco-related or sort of related notes. Rankles is back. Rich Scangarello, the Broncos' offensive coordinator, the year that they um, actually got something out of Drew Locke at the end of the season, mm-hmm. had a lot of us thinking, hmm, hey, maybe the Rich Scangarello... 
uh, Drew Locke relationship is, is clicking. Maybe this would be something that'd be fun to watch, go into another year with another offseason uh, under their belts. Instead, Vic Fangio couldn't get along with Rich. Uh, Rich was too young for Vic, and Vic didn't want to have to worry about his offensive coordinator. He just wanted to focus on his beloved defense, and so Scangarello was gone. And he's uh, bounced around. He was working as a personal coach with Caleb Williams, and now he's back with the Raiders. Really? How about that? Wrinkles. What, what is his title? Uh, he's going to be their quarterback's coach. QB coach. All right. I like wrinkles. By the way, for those of you who wonder why we always called him wrinkles, the story goes is that on a, um, a preseason game that was nationally televised, I think it was against the 49ers, uh, Booger McFarlane, in his ill-fated attempt to be the uh, color analyst on uh, Monday Night Football, kept talking about how Rich Scangarello came from the um, Shanahan, Shanahan tree. tree, but that it wasn't just the Shanahan offense. That he was going to be putting a lot of his own wrinkles. Yeah. Onto the offense. He kept saying wrinkles throughout yeah. the course of the broadcast. When he was in the booger mobile. If you were playing the wrinkles drinking game, you would have been sloshed by the right. end of that game. So, you know, it kind of stuck, and we start calling him wrinkles, and it uh, it stuck. So, good for Rich Gangarello. I always like Rich. I think he got kind of a bad deal. I agree. From Vic. I, I well, I mean. He would be the first. The PE teacher. <laughs> it was kind of cranky. It was very cranky. He just wanted an offensive coordinator that was like, hey, you take care of the offense. I don't want to have to think about you. I don't have to worry about you. Let's so we go. don't give a damn about that. Yeah. So we went from Scangarello to, was that? Pat Shermer. Well, Shermer, yo. You know, he wanted somebody that he could out? trust to practice throwing incompletions hey. and, and things of that nature. Hey, Shermer, man. He's like a cockroach. He keeps, we were actually trying to throw incompletions. He's up at CU now. He's Dion's guy. He's got yeah. Dion's endorsement. Love it. Uh, what is up with George Carl and Carmelo Anthony? Ooh. Have you been following this? Yes, I have. They are uh, they're not what I would say on, on they don't feel like to me they're on speaking terms. So this all started this all started with the idea that uh, when Melo came out recently and said I never wanted to be be traded, I didn't right. force myself out. To which you know George Carl was like, um, I that's was exactly what you. Did. I was there. You, yeah, that's exactly what you did. And so the the war the war of words continue on. Carl just over the weekend on on X on Twitter. Um, to clarify, Mello was an inexperienced and overrated player when I first coached him. I'm the last one in Denver who still feels the Nuggets should honor Mello. He went on uh, some other reactions whenever when people were coming back at him. Um, I love this one. Nikola Jokic, by the way, happy birthday to Nikola Jokic. Yeah, yesterday. Turned 29 uh, yesterday. And George wished him happy birthday by saying happy birthday to the greatest number 15 in Nuggets history. <laughs> George is George snarky. Is just, I love it. George doesn't uh, give any more uh, no, you know what? F's right now. So. Well, that's why George and I are tight. Because we're about the same age and we just don't give a... Like Mello responded to... Carl with a bunch of just uh, uh, tearful, laughing, crying emojis. Uh-huh. Carl responded to Mello, we all know you're passive-aggressive, Mello, so be real. What's this mean? Uh-huh. <laughs> Jeez. 
George, uh, George just not going to take it. He said, hey, you're trying to rewrite history and not on my watch. Right. Who do you believe? George. Who do you believe? I mean, we were all part of it when Mello was trying to get out of here. You can't, you can't, like, you, you can't force a trade to get out of Denver and then come back decades later and cry the victim. Of course I side with George on this one because it's as simple as, as this. Anybody who is there um, as a fan or, or, or doing shows like these, if if what Mello is saying is true, then when Mello was traded, we all should have been stunned. Hmm. Like, oh, my God, this Did is believe this happened? Yeah. I can't believe they just traded. We were all like, okay. No. We've seen this one coming for a long time. I think the only surprise was it was the Knicks because at uh, at the time we thought it was going to be Brooklyn for a while. But the idea was that we knew we wanted to get back to the New York right. area. Um, we thought it was going to be Brooklyn. It ended up being the Knicks. But the idea of him being traded being a stunner, nobody was surprised. Nobody. We saw it coming a mile away. We had been talking about it for, for weeks, for months. So, yeah, I side with uh, George on this one. Uh, you buying into a Gabe Landeskog return this season? Um, Gabe skating over the weekend. The Avs hold their they had they had their public practice. Bunch of fans were there, and Gabe was out skating, and backed up by uh, people who who cover the Avs, guys like Adrian Dater, uh, saying that you know the Avs are letting it be known they're they're cautiously optimistic about a possible Gabe return this year. Yeah, that's going to be a big negatory for me. Really? Yeah. I think you said what five percent? You put the odds of him returning earlier in the show. I just think there's so much. There's so much. One, you've got a guaranteed contract. You got five years left on that guaranteed contract at about seven million per. So that's third. What thirty five million dollars you got tied up in Gabe? Man, I've had so many microfracture surgeries, and actually, my last year, my last year in Denver, two thousand. I hurt my knee on the first day of camp, and it was a, you know, where I'd had a microfracture, and I'd ripped off that, you know, articular cartilage surface that was a little bit, a little bit soft, you know, wasn't, it, it wasn't all the way built up, and exposed that bone on my knee, had surgery, came back like three, four weeks later, played in the last preseason game, played in the first game of the season, playing really well, hit that spot on the turf, planted my leg, Bam, hit it, ripped it the rest of the way off, bruised the bone, played for another two or three weeks where like, I would hit that spot and it would it was excruciating. My whole leg would just shut down. It would literally fall. And ended up having multiple surgeries on that during the course of the season, trying to come back. And it just literally, it, it, it's what did me in. And I had thought previously in the first three or four games of the season, I was playing at a level that I was like, that was year 12. I was like, shit, I'm going to sign another three-year deal. That's what I was thinking because I was playing that well. And ultimately, that surgery and that knee and that area, and the same stuff that Gabe has had, only he had his with, mine was just my refractured. He had his with a, a you know, stem cell cartilage that was mm -hmm. grown in a Petri dish. It ended my career. Okay, but this was what year for you? Year this 12. Was, yeah, but what year was it? The year. 2000. 2000. 
Okay, we're we're about twenty plus years later. I would I'd like to think that the medical advances are such that this isn't the same. Oh, it's it's not the a microfracture is a microfracture. Now they've done it with the the stem cell stuff, right? So it's it's basically I I, I just talked to my buddy Doctor Addicts about this. I don't know six months ago. He said it's just a fancier version of the same damn thing, and it takes a long time to heal, and it takes a long time for that to solidify as a secondary articular cartilage, a secondary bone covering. And again, all that is is like when you expose the raw bone, the articular surface of your knee, the articular cartilage is the bone covering. So it's like putting formica on a kitchen counter or tiling a kitchen counter. If one piece of tile breaks, it leaves a hole in there that exposes that wood, the wood countertop underneath. And, you know, I mean, you slide a glass across it, what happens to the glass? It's going to tip over and fall. And so that that piece is exposed, and all it is is putting a covering on that, so it it's like filling a pothole. But knowing the athlete's mindset, but also knowing the team and, and the commitment, the financial commitment they still have in Gabe for the next five years... I can't imagine him coming back, especially for the NHL playoffs, which is 100 miles an hour. Right. You think they play faster in the regular season. It goes up to a whole other level in the playoffs. I just can't imagine him coming back unless everyone, right. the team and Gabe, were absolutely convinced um, he could handle it. Yeah. Here, Here is... I think this is... There's just too much at stake for both of them. This is the best explanation, and I just said it in passing, but I'm going to go back to it. We have a pothole as you turn into this parking lot, and I don't care how many times they fill it with hot top, mm-hmm. pack it down, mm-hmm. it's good for a week, yep. good for two weeks, good for a month, but you know what happens? It gets exposed again, and they can fill it over and over and over and over and again. And you know what happens? It continuously loses that filler and eventually develops into a pothole again until you tear the whole thing down and completely replace it. And ultimately, we've all been there. That's what microfracturing does. It's filling a pothole. And eventually, that thing loses that material and that bone gets exposed again. And it is excruciatingly painful. And that's why you best... Let that thing heal as much, and it and it's continually. My explanation was it was going to continually harden until it hits a point at about eighteen months, where it's as good as it's going to get. And when did he have that last summer? Because he was trying to make the comeback, yep. right? Yep. So he had that surgery last summer. I, I just don't. I I think, hey, come back training camp, and we'll see how we right. operate. Well, hopefully CDOT's not working on Gabe's knee these uh, these days. Yeah. Up next, we play a Bronco game of Would You Rather. That's next. Ever since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my hiding spots. Ha! Found ya. How? 
That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity. Now through March 21st, get started with 200 megabit internet for $25 a month for two years with no annual contract and get Wi-Fi equipment included. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY or visit a store today. Requires paperless plan auto pay stored bank account. Restrictions apply. Taxes and fees extra. After promo, regular rates apply to internet service and Wi-Fi equipment. Actual speeds vary. You're going to need a bigger boat. It's time for Schlereth and Evans' big story of the day. Why is this that you're so... You're so... Big. Here's Schlereth and Evans with this morning's biggest story in Denver sports. Big mistake. Big. Huge. Some uh, sobering numbers out there. If you're a Broncos fan. So not only do they only have six picks... In this year's draft, no second round pick, but I'm uh, looking at the cap space available for teams right now, like the top five teams in the NFL. This is cap space. If they want to go out and do business, sign players, sign their own players, free agents, all that. The commanders have a whopping $83 million of cap space. Titans, 74, Bears, 70, Patriots, 69, Colts, 66. Those are the top five. On the bottom end of the spectrum, the Saints, who are always <laughs> way over the cap, they are negative $82 million right now. That's not bad. Not bad. Trim here, trim there. Um, the Bills are $52 million over. Dolphins, 51 Chargers. Welcome in, Jim Harbaugh. $44 million over the cap. Okay. And then the Broncos, $25 million over the cap. That is, by the way, before you even factor in now, Russell Wilson, because they haven't made that move official yet. Okay. So I want to play a little game of Would You Rather. Okay. All right. All right. I like that. Would you rather? Would you rather still have Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson, and George Payton in charge? Have the extra draft picks and no cap hit, or Sean Payton, George Payton, no Russ, less draft picks, and the big cap hit. Which one would I rather have? Mm -hmm. I'd rather have the latter. Why? Because I'm on my way to fixing it. What's the old saying? The first step in fixing a problem is realizing you have one. <laughs> I mean, what would if we still had the the former of those two scenarios? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 yes. Yep. Yeah. Yep. You're right. You'd have him, and you would you continue to what? But like all be, of a sudden, you're going to figure it out. Well, no, but you'd be in a situation. Where maybe you figure out you can't win with Hackett, but you replace him with a coach that you think would be able to work with with Russ. Right, and then you'd be kicking the can down the road for another two years and realize at some point, two years from now, you'd realize, wow, Russ can't play, the coach can't coach. Well, well okay, but you... you Here's what I need to clarify. Okay. Are you convinced Russ can't yes. play? Wait a minute. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Let me at least get the question no, out. No, no. Okay. Okay, all right. Sorry, you, I jumped the gun. Because yes. is this okay. is is it a matter of can Russ still play if he's with the right kind of coach? Or 
Because I, 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 we all understand Russ and Sean isn't a fit. Okay. For what Sean wants, right. Russ isn't that kind of quarterback. Okay. And you hire Sean Payton, you pay Sean Payton, you trade for Sean Payton with the idea that, hey, he probably should be allowed to coach the kind of player, the kind of quarterback he wants to coach. So okay. I'm not going to argue with that. All right. My point is, do you think that Russ, with a different kind of coach, can still be a winning quarterback in this league? Because that then brings into the, the, the would-you-rather argument here, the debate. Because if you think there is, then all of a sudden you're like, okay, maybe Hackett's not the guy, but you can replace him with a guy that can work with Russ, and you still have some more some extra draft capital, and you're not getting waylaid by the massive hit. That's uh, why I'm asking the game of would-you-rather. Yeah, I would, I'd rather do the latter. I, I just think... The premise, I think that you're, you're operating under a faulty premise. And that premise is, if I just have the right coach, all of a sudden Russ will be able to do the things that he's never been able to do. That's faulty. It's just not the way it works. So all of a sudden, Russ is going to be able to run, read you know, multiple progressions. All of a sudden, Russ is going to be an anticipatory thrower with the right coach. I just needed the right coach to get that out of him. The right coach to me means you're going to have to sit down, Russ, and go, you're not good at this, this, and this, and we're going to keep you out of that. And I know that's what you wanted to be, and I know you talked about being Drew Brees and the footwork and all that stuff. You're not. So here's how we're going to win. An elite-level defense, Pittsburgh has that. We're going to run the snot out of the ball, and it's going to be one read throws or go make something happen. And do we have... I mean, you have Pickens out there. You've got Johnson out there. We've got some elite level. Um, uh, Friar Muth is a, a really good tight end. We've got some elite level talent type of guys who could be really good on the second play, meaning the first play breaks down and, you know, Russ doesn't see it, and then he scrambles around and everybody runs go-get-open routes, mm-hmm. and he makes some throws. If you go back to doing what they did in Seattle all those years, could you could you win games? Yep, you could. But to sit there and tell okay, me, well, then that goes right into my "would you rather" argument. Then because now you're saying instead of um, what you have now, you you keep Russ, you built you 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 have a different kind of coach around him, and you use the extra picks you now have and the extra available uh, cap space that you have to try to build that Seattle model around him. Why not do that? So you're going to be able right now to, to in the draft, create in the next two years. No, no, I, I'm, this is why we're playing the game. I know, I know why we're playing the okay. game. But what I'm telling you is, so we've got this number of holes to fill, and you're telling me that we're just going to dip into the draft and we're going to create a generational type of defense and we're going to all of a sudden fix our running game and our run woes and we're going to get dynamic players on the outside who are great when the things break down at creating big plays. While your quarterback is aging into his late Right, 30s. while your yes. quarterback is turning 36, 37, 38. I'm just, I mean, I'm just asking the question. And I'm just telling you the answer. The answer is I would rather be where we are and saying we have to fix it than to continue to try to band-aid it, which hasn't worked yet, and I don't believe it's going to work here. Now, 
I said Pittsburgh makes sense simply because they do have a top-flight defense. They do have some unbelievable. Hayward's an unreal player. Watt is an unreal player. They've got some big-time players on that defensive side of the ball. And, you know, Mike Tomlin is... They've had offensive issues. I mean, they but fired their coordinator last year. Is that a, is that a team Pittsburgh to their credit? And it was a, a masterful coaching job by Mike Tomlin. It might have been his best one ever. That with that um, quarterback situation, who they go through? They went through Pickett, uh, Trubisky, Trubisky, Mason Rudolph. Yes, and they still found a way to go ten and seven. Pretty remarkable. Really remarkable. But, and they fired two offensive coordinators. Canada was the, was showing the door. I can't remember who took over for him, but now he's been showing the door, and now Arthur Smith has become. But let me ask you this: in a in a, and I'll tell you what, I'll ask the question, then you can think about it. In a division in which you've got Baltimore thirteen uh-huh. and four, Cleveland who went eleven and six with without their what two hundred and sixty million dollar quarterback Deshaun Watson. Right who figures to be back next year. And, oh, by the way, Joe Burrow wasn't there for Cincinnati. You you put Russell Wilson with the Steelers in that division. What kind of record do they finish with? You answer that next. It's Schlereth and Evans on Denver's Sports Station. 104.3 The Fan. Coming up, what needs to be done to fix the NBA All-Star Weekend? <laughs> And some, I got at least some honest uh, commentary from some of the the All-Stars that uh, I appreciate the honesty. Don't agree with it, but I appreciate the honesty, which maybe leads to why there needs to be more change. But we'll get to that coming up. I I asked the question, playing a game of Broncos, would you rather? Would you rather have Nathaniel Hackett, Russell Wilson, and George Payton in, in charge and still have the extra draft picks and no cap hit or would you rather have Sean Payton, George Payton working for Sean, no Russ, less draft picks, and the big cap hit? I bring this up with the idea of, you know, hey, is is Russell Wilson, he's not a fit with Sean Payton, but if you put the right kind of team around Russ, can you still win big? Uh, can you win big? Can you win? Well, we can... He's never really we won. Can, we could parse I don't that know out. that he's won big. He's just won a lot of close games. So I, I bring this up with the Steelers only because right now Pittsburgh is the heavy favorite to land Russell Wilson. If you're betting or trying to get odds on where Russell Wilson's going to end up next year, Pittsburgh is the favorite. I asked this question before we went to break. Russell Wilson in Pittsburgh in that division that has Lamar and the Ravens, Burrow and the Bengals, Deshaun Watson. And uh, and the Browns, Pittsburgh going ten and seven this year. Where would they be next year with Russ? So I think there's there's an interesting question. So first off, when you're playing division games, right, with four teams in your division, that's six total games, correct? So if all you do is split, go three and three. I don't know what they were in division last year. They were five and one in their division. Were they? So if all you do is go three and three, and then you you know have a a great season after that, you could you go eleven and could you go eleven and six? Here's here's 
the beauty of Pittsburgh right now. Arthur Smith is their new coordinator. Arthur Smith won a lot of games as a coordinator in Tennessee with a limited offense. He just had a great running game in Derrick Henry. And the limited, I shouldn't say limited, a limited passing offense that he based on Derrick Henry and the ability to run the football. The one thing, and he did that in Atlanta a year ago with Marcus Mariota until they dumped Marcus Mariota. I think the one thing about him now that he is an offensive coordinator again and not a head coach, it gives him the opportunity to call the offense, not as a head coach, but what's best for this offense. Because as a head coach, he was thinking about the entirety of the team. We've got a playoff caliber, outstanding defense. I need to I need to implement an offense in which, you know, I'm growing a quarterback and I'm, I'm like you're thinking about the future of your football team. And you go back to being selfish as a coordinator. I'm just thinking about my offense. What's the best way that we can have success and win? And so Arthur, one thing he knows how to do, he knows how to run the ball. He knows how to use formations. He knows how to use personnel groupings, multiple tight ends, fullbacks, and all that stuff. Like, I have a, I have a, a sense that he could do a lot of the one-read type of offense that he did in Tennessee and get – some production out of Russell. Okay, some production. Win some games. Come on, give me the no. give me the give me the ceiling. What's the what's the ultimate? In that what's t- the ultimate oh. you can do with Russ if everything is tailored around him? With that defense, you could win. I think you can win 11 games in that in that and you know, if you get Burrow back healthy. Now Cincinnati's an interesting Cincinnati's interesting because I really like them defensively. Um, offensively, they're they're they operate a little bit more like college football than most teams do in the NFL. A little bit more spread, all shotgun. I went through a three game set with Joe Burrow, where they were under center twice in three games. So they they operate that way quite a bit. Cleveland, you know, is going to run the ball. Cleveland's going to be tough. They're going to have tough defense. And Baltimore is as physical as it gets. That that division is that division is legit. Yeah, but you you know you're kind of making a case against yourself. You know, you're kind of digging your own grave here, Mark Slareth. Why is that? Well, because you're you're saying Russell Wilson, under the right circumstances, can still be the quarterback of a team that goes a eleven and six and is a AFC championship contender. No, well, that's not what I'm saying at all. Well, if you're saying he can go 11 and six in that division, then they yes, went, you're a, you're an AFC championship contender. They went 10 and seven, right, with three quarterbacks. Correct. They, it's not Russell Wilson. All of a sudden, Russell Wilson comes in there and makes him. But great. if you can, but if you can build a team in Pittsburgh that can go 10 and seven with. Mason Rudolph, Mitch Trubisky, and small hands Kenny Pickett, and go eleven and six with Russell Wilson. Then why can't you do that here? Because you don't have the defensive players they have. You have Mika Fitzpatrick. Do you have T.J. Watt? Do you have Cameron Hayward? Do you have no? But you'll have you'd have extra draft picks to try to go find those kind of guys. Good luck. You'll have more money in free agency good, to try to find those good, guys. Good luck finding T.J. Watt. Again, built an all-world defense here in 2015. 
Yeah. Some of that with draft picks, some of that with free agents, some of that with trades. Yeah. I mean, this is all a moot point because it, what, what what's done cannot be undone, but I'm, I'm just kind of surprised that you're acknowledging that, yeah, you could, there is a path that you could have gone down with Russ and still found a way to win. Based on what you're saying. I'm, but, a, I'm no. a little surprised on what you're saying because, because I because everything won, the but argument. But they won 10 games. They won 10 games with with three different quarterbacks playing. That That's not the quarterback play that won them 10 games. No, but that that's an acknowledgement of how well they're coached and how good of a roster they built. That they could win 10 games with that, that kind of quarterback. So couldn't you do that here? No. I don't... I don't think you can do that. The way this team is constructed right now, no. And again, do I think they're going to win their division? Nope. Do I think they're going to go deep in the playoffs, even if they win ten or eleven games? Nope. I don't think that's. I don't think. I think if they sign Russell Wilson, they kick the can down the road two more years, and Cameron Hayward's no longer a big time player in the league. T.J. Watt is on the downside of an of a Hall of Fame career. Mika Fitzpatrick is on the downside of a potential Hall of Fame career, and you're right where the the Broncos are right now, two years from now, with no playoff wins, and a 37 year old Russell Wilson, right, and no real quarterback plan after that. Correct. Uh, on the text line again, it's a it's a. We're playing the game, would you rather? But it's a good debate to have. But this text came out of the conversation. A great coach is supposed to bring out the best out of their players, not just a selfish coach who just wants someone to run their system. Sean is a selfish coach. Do you buy the idea that a coach is supposed to coach to what he has Rather than what he wants. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. 100%. And if you can't see that that's exactly what went down this year, then you have rusty blinders on. If you can't see that Russ, that Russ was completely catered to and that this offense was a shell of what they wanted it to be, but they had to do it that way to give themselves a chance. I mean, if you can't see the difference between the first several weeks of the season and what they morphed into in their five-game win streak, then you just refuse. You just don't like Sean. You don't like his arrogance. You don't like you know the way he went after Nathaniel Hackett. And you're a Rusty, or you love Russ, and you just think that... <laughs> that Russ is getting a raw deal. Yeah, th- that is an argument I just don't get because, of course, if you have someone who is regarded as one of the top offensive coaches in the NFL, certainly you traded for him and you're paying him with the idea that that's what you're you're trying to bring here. Why would you all of a sudden expect or want that guy to coach differently? Sean McVay felt that Jared Goff couldn't win big in his system. Guess mm-hmm. what he did? He moved on from Goff. Brought in Matthew Stafford. Mm-hmm. Is this texter saying that Sean McVay should have made a, found a way to make it work with 
with Goff? Kyle Shanahan. They went out and traded all that capital for Trey Lance. He decided, I can't win with Trey Lance. Brock Purdy is the better quarterback for my system. How'd that work out? Yeah. Uh, there, there's plenty of examples out there of, of coaches, especially offensive. Well, I'll go all the way back to Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan did not want to draft RG3. He was forced to take him. Right. Knew he couldn't win with this guy. So what did he do later on in that same draft in the fifth round? Fourth round. Fourth round. Drafted Kirk Cousins. Correct. Why? Because he looked at Kirk Cousins as the guy that would be able to run his system better than RG3. Mm-hmm. There's so many examples of that out there that I don't know. Well, I do know why. You're right, because you're you're anti-Sean. You're, you're turned off by sure. Sean. But Sean is only doing what scores of other NFL coaches have done in the past. And it's it's well within yeah. his right to do it here. This texture on the RamosLaw.com text line, every coach is selfish. The offense was pared down, adjusted, and changed for Russ. Yes, it was. Up next, what to be done, what can be done to fix the NBA All-Star Weekend? That's next.